Good morning, everybody. Let's take our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're talking about why we believe what we believe about the church. says in verse 1, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. So we're talking about <coughs> soul winning this morning. And we're talking about the misnomers surrounding church, uh, the church's mission regarding soul winning. The phrase soul winning comes from the book of Proverbs, uh, a phrase that says, he that winneth souls is wise. So we get the phrase soul winning from that uh, portion in Proverbs, and it just means giving the gospel to people, going around telling people about Jesus and how they can be saved. Uh a lot of churches will do something we don't do here. A lot of churches have a program. It's either on Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, or on Saturday mornings where they go out and they knock doors in a specific area of the city. They'll go door to door knocking on doors and uh, handing people tracts and inviting them to church and trying to tell them about Jesus. My problem, as I've preached for many years over the years, is that it's very business oriented. Uh, it's very corporate. <clears throat> it feels like they're going door to door selling vacuum cleaners. And that's not the way that soul winning should be, and we're going to see that in our portion of Scripture this morning. So let's pray and we'll get started. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. Pray that you would give us uh, the, the proper spirit in which to receive your word, Lord. I pray that we would uh, receive that which our soul needs this morning, Lord. Help us to take from your word what you've intended for us to take, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would... Uh, just use this lesson. And we love you, thank you, and ask you these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so we see, first of all, is the instruction to the 70. So he sent out 70 disciples. This is beyond the original 12. This is 70 other members of the church that were willing to participate in this particular activity. So uh, in verse 2, he begins to explain to them... Um, really the crux, the idea of what they're trying to do. He says, the harvest truly is great. That's a concept, a thought that remains true throughout the years, that the harvest for the Lord is great. It's a tremendous harvest. There's plenty to reap from this harvest. Uh, why does it sometimes then feel like there's so few people interested in church anymore these days? That is because people are interested in the Lord, they're interested in the Bible, they're just not interested in church. So how is it that mentally we can separate those two things so easily, when in Scripture, the Lord started the church, the Lord taught the church, and the church is the place where brothers and sisters are supposed to gather together to encourage one another and strengthen one another in the Lord. 
How are they so easily separated nowadays is because the church has become something that other people have seen as an opportunity to make money. And they can come to the church and they see people literally handing over hundreds of dollars sometimes to the church. And they begin to think, I want that hundreds of dollars. Maybe I should be a preacher. I should go out and start a church. So they people will just hand me hundreds of dollars for standing up one day a week. That's a lot of money for one day a week that I'm getting uh, of work. And I can sit around and do nothing for six days, stand up on a Sunday, talk for a few hours, and people hand me loads of cash. And that's what people think the church is. And it is absolutely not what the church is. A pastor is on call 24-7. I could get a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm on the job. Uh, a pastor works the same hours that you work. I will be in my office. I will be writing Sunday school lessons. I will be writing sermons. I'll be calling people, checking up on uh, how their health is doing, the health of their loved ones. I'll be sending out text messages. Uh, Amanda will be doing the same thing for the ladies because I don't text the ladies just as a precautionary tale. Um, <clears throat> I will be uploading the, the um, podcast to the Sunday service that requires downloading it from Facebook, editing it, getting it ready to upload, making sure it's in the right format, then uploading it, making sure all the bills are paid. Then once a month, I have to come along and, and do the numbers for the church, make sure that the, the budget's balanced and everything's where it should be. There's a lot of work that goes into pastoring a church that's more than just one day a week. The music... Yeah, I mean, I could go, I could go on and on and on. The the, the pre-show, the uh, the editing of the video for the music. I mean, there's so much. Uh, even Amanda helps with a lot of it. She does the calendar that goes out to the the children's church teachers. You know, we have to make sure that the material is purchased for junior church and for Sunday school and so forth. There's uh, a lot of work that goes into it. Going to the store probably at least once a week to make sure there's cups for coffee, make sure there's candy for the kids to earn in Sunday school, make sure materials are there. There's a lot of work that goes into this. It's more than just a Sunday morning. So anybody who thinks that they can just get rich quick by pastoring a church, you're in the wrong line of work. <coughs> the, harvest, the harvest truly is great. There are people out there that are interested in the Lord. There are people out there that are interested in the Word of God, that want to know more about it, that are fascinated by uh, the way that the Bible affects the world in which we live. And how the world we see and, and geology and so forth uh, blends into Bible, how physics blends in with the Bible and how our world interacts with these things. You know, the history of Scripture and how it aligns so much with what we see. People like to give the New Testament a hard time because it doesn't line up with what other people wrote about that particular time in history. So they say the Bible is uh, flawed because it doesn't line up with other people's <coughs> writings about history, which I don't know how you determine that one's right and this one's wrong, but that's a lesson for another day, I suppose. But we have uh, the story of the flood in the Bible, and every ancient civilization you study has a flood story. Even China has a flood story. Uh, the ancient uh, Native Americans when, when we're studying the things about them, we find out that they had a flood story that they told. Every ancient civilization that has a history that goes back that far has a flood story. All right, so we have bits of history that nobody else does as well. The Bible is the oldest book ever written. The, the writings of Moses are older than anything else ever written. It goes before, it's what, it goes into what they call prehistory, right? 
the Bible goes into prehistory. We call it prehistory because we have no writings or anything to determine what life was like during those times. Thus, we call it prehistory. But the Bible is was written even during those times. So even prehistory, we get a glimpse of. People are fascinated by these things. The harvest truly is great. The problem that we have today is that the laborers are few. The problem... It, that was in Jesus' day is the same problem we have today, even though there's a church on every corner. Even though there are more churches than there are anything else in the town. Uh, you, you may have two grocery stores, but you'll have 12 churches. Right? Which is why this guy didn't want to start a church like that over here. But the Lord had other plans. So, why is it if we have so many churches... And we also have so many people actually interested in the Lord and interested in his word. Why is it do we have so few people interested in going to church? Because when you go to church, very rarely will people actually teach the Bible. Now, make no mistake, you may be a part of a church that teaches from the Bible and still not teach the Bible. You may have a pastor that opens up to a particular portion of Scripture and reads uh, a few verses, reads a good portion of Scripture, and still does not teach Scripture. They're taking a few verses, a portion of Scripture, and then they're applying it to something that showed up in the 5 o'clock news. Right? Or they're applying it to something going on uh, in the, the media news. Maybe something that happened with a celebrity. You know, you'll have a lot of pastors that will take a verse or two from Scripture and they'll apply it to uh, money and how to be more responsible with your money or uh, how to eat healthy and lose weight. And they'll do that. And those things are fine and those things are great. And I think <laughs> biblical principles to live your life by are fantastic, but that's not what this pulpit is for. This is for the Lord. And it's for his word. The harvest truly is great. The laborers are few because what we have in churches are politicians and not preachers. We've got far too many people interested in allying themselves with either the four, the, the channel four news or the channel five news and not enough people interested in allying themselves with this sacred book. We have so few laborers, but we have many people pretending to be laborers so that people will give them their money. <clears throat> and they say what people want to hear, and they do what people want them to do. I knew a pastor who was pastoring this church for more than 20 years. And when I sat down to ask him, why do we believe in this particular church doctrine? He said, do you know how many people would get upset if I didn't say that? That is not why we do what we do as Christians. Jesus stood against a room, a, a, a city full of people shaking their fists in the air, shouting, crucify him. I don't think he was too worried about what they thought he would, they would do. We don't believe what we believe because our heavy tithers are involved. <laughs> and I don't do what I think is right at this church because I think it's going to take somebody off. If I think it's the right thing to do, I'm going to do it. 
It may make the whole church upset. But if I think it's the right thing to do, I'm going to do it. You know why? Because I don't care about your money. I don't care about your money. I care about the Lord. And you know who's going to give account of this church one day in heaven? It's going to be me. Whether we're in a nice, huge, prestigious building one day, or even the time we spend now in this room holding church services, it's no different to the Lord. I'll hold account to that. I'm not interested in your tithe money. I'm interested in holding to the Lord and to his word. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. Jesus says pray. That's the solution is to pray. How great a power we hold to access the greatest power in the entire known universe to access the most royal throne to have ever existed, to access a being so powerful he transcends the concept of time. And we have access to conversation with him anytime, any day. And how few times we actually take advantage of such a tremendous ability. We are fascinated as a society right now with superheroes, myself included. I love a good superhero movie. Can I tell you, do not waste your eyeball hours on She-Hulk. Ugh. <laughs> Something green coming out of me after I watched it, I'll tell you that. Holy cow. But there's just something good about a really good superhero movie, right? You remember that first Thor movie? What a good movie that was. You guys remember Captain America? That first Captain America? Man, what, a, what great movies those were, right? We're fascinated with superhero movies, and we're amazed by these, the, the concept of people that can do these superhuman things, right? These powers and abilities that they have. To fly or to shoot lasers out of their eyes, to have super strength, you know, to summon thunder from the sky. All of these amazing powers, and yet we have a, a pretty incredible power ourselves. We have the power to access God himself in prayer. We have the ability to attempt to persuade God to move things on our behalf. What an incredible power we have. And yet, how few times we actually take advantage of that power. Pray ye, therefore, because of the problem. The Lord of Ho the Lord of the Harvest, capital L, Lord of the Harvest. You see, other religions have many gods. They have several gods for several things. If you have a problem with your crops... They have a God for that, and you go and pray to the Lord, to the God of harvest. Well, your Jesus is teaching, excuse me, teaching that the Lord is not just Lord over one thing or two things, but he's Lord over all. The same Lord that is Lord over uh, the, the river is the same Lord who is Lord of the harvest, who is the same Lord that is Lord over uh, fertility, that is the same Lord that is Lord over heaven and over earth. And that there is one God. That the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Where do the laborers come from? The 
the laborers come from the harvest. Reap the harvest. And those people are the ones you send back out into the field. Right? We, we need to get out of a bad habit. We need to get out of a certain mindset when it comes to soul winning. And the old generations and the standbys, and they've done their job, but we're reaching a point now where we want something more sincere. People want something more genuine. We don't want something packaged with a nice, uh, pretty price tag on the front. We want something that feels substantial and real. You get your laborers from the harvest. He tells them in verse 3 to go your ways. He doesn't tell them, notice, where they ought to go. Did you notice that? He never told them where they were supposed to go. He just said, you go your way. You basically, you live your life. The things that you're doing right now, you just keep doing them. If you have a job you go to every day, you just keep going to that job. If you have classes that you go to, you keep going to those classes. If you have something that you do every day, uh, maybe you're a stay-at-home mother or a stay-at-home father, and you take care of the kids, and you keep the house taken care of while everybody else is off at work. Or maybe you work from home. A lot of people have been doing that since COVID. Whatever it is that you do, you just keep doing it. And you pray to the Lord of the harvest as you go your way. Good morning. Y'all come on in. But he says, go your ways. Behold, he says, notice, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Right? And the worst thing that can happen to a Christian is to let yourself turn into a wolf. <coughs> right? We spend, and the world kind of teaches us to become this way, don't they? We, we learn to be like the wolf because we get bitten so many times. Right. Somebody comes along and they're asking for help and your heart bleeds for that person. So you help them. And then you find out later on down the road that they scammed you out of that money or they scammed you out of your help. And it burns you a little bit, doesn't it? And you want to be more careful next time. You don't want to be cheated. Nobody wants to be cheated. But the worst thing that can happen to a Christian is that we let those things rob us of our generosity. Because if somebody cheats you out of the help that you're offering them they didn't actually need, they will answer for that. But if somebody comes along that genuinely needed help and we turned them away, we will answer for that. He says, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. We're going to get bitten. It's going to happen. It happened to me this week. Me and Josh were talking about it. You know, it's the way people are, unfortunately, in this world. But don't let them turn you into that. Let's remain genuine. Let's remain generous and charitable as the Lord intended us to be as we go through life. He continues on that in verse 4 of Luke chapter 10. He says, carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes. Now, that may seem weird to you. You might think, well, I'm a guy. I don't usually carry a purse. That's not the kind of purse he's talking about, right? In this day and age, they would carry their money in a sort of a coin bag. 
Right. So that was well, that's what he's calling a purse is like their their coin bag. In other words, he's telling them, don't bring any money. Seems like an odd thing to say. Uh, Carry neither uh, purse nor scrip, which is along the same lines, nor shoes. You believe there's a day and age in which shoes were considered to be uh, uh, not a necessity. You didn't necessarily have to wear shoes. That's what more wealthy people did. A lot of people ran around barefoot. In other words, what the Lord is saying here is he's telling them, as you go your way, don't worry about the things that you're going to need. Don't worry about necessities. Now, my generation has come up with a word called adulting. Right? Perhaps you've heard it before. And it's just it's that thing where we're not used to it yet, right? You have to provide your own food, pay your own bills, get your own gas, that sort of a thing. And after a while, you know, adulting's hard, you know? And uh, we don't like it. But it's that stress, isn't it? And everybody feels that at some point or another when there's too much month left at the end of the money. And it just gets hard. But the Lord here is telling his disciples as he's sending them out, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about it. And he says it again uh, in Matthew, in the book of Matthew uh, early on, chapters 5, 6, and 7 are referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's him teaching his disciples very early basic Christian things. And one of the things he teaches them is consider the lilies. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He said, if he so clothed the grass of the field, how much more shall he clothe you? Right? He talks about the birds that fly in the sky and how God feedeth them, he says. And he says, you're worth more than many sparrow. God will take care of us. David said in the Old Testament, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God will take care of us. And sometimes he takes care of us by sending somebody our way to help us. But God will take care of us. So he's sending them back toward their way, back toward their cities and so forth. He says in verse 5, In whatsoever house ye enter, first say peace be to this house. So now we're, we're a little confused again. We're not sure what he's talking about. But let's read the next verse, and I think I'll be able to explain what he's talking about. It says in verse 6, If the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. So what he's talking about is as he's sending them into these cities— uh, right. They, they don't have any money. Right. So they can't rent a room at the inn or anything. So they're meant to go into the synagogue on Sunday and talk to people about Jesus. And that somebody in that synagogue would be generous enough to give them a room to stay in. We have an extra room in our house. We would be honored if you could stay with us for a few days, so forth like that. So if somebody does that, and that's what it's talking about, uh, into whatsoever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. There's a blessing in being generous. And there's a, a blessing especially in being generous to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? And Jesus said that many times throughout Scripture. He says, if, you, if the Son of Peace be there. Notice that phrase, the Son of Peace. It doesn't have a capital S. There's no capital S there. And anytime we're talking about Jesus, there's always a capital. So we're not talking about Jesus when we're talking about the Son of Peace here. 
right? We're talking about any sort of relation to what feels like peace. If you feel peace where you are, then peace will be there. But in other words, if you're not meant to be where you are, you won't have peace about it. The Holy Spirit guides us from within ourselves. And we need to learn to trust the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit as it moves us. You know, it may not make a whole lot of sense to anybody else around you. But if you know that God wants you to go to a specific place or do a specific thing, we ought to trust the Lord in doing it. There were a lot of people uh, when I decided I was going to leave my home church, a Bible Baptist church, and start working at Gospel Light. There were a lot of people that came up to me and told me that the only reason I was doing that is because I was following my family. You know, I wasn't really going out doing anything. They gave me a hard time about that. But no matter how hard a time somebody gives you about something, if you know it's the right thing to do, you had to do it anyways. What did Jesus say to the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9? He said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That phrase means to go against the grain. You ever try to, to walk or swim upstream? That's a very hard thing to do. But if you need to be going with the current... That's easy, right? The Lord is the current. If we're going against him, it's hard. Right? But if we're going with the Lord, that's a much easier thing. So if their peace is there, then peace will come to the house. But if your peace is not there, let it return to you and you go wherever the Lord guides you. Verse 7, he says, in the same house remain. Eating and drinking such things as they give, being generous and being appreciative for the for the gifts that somebody gives you. Right. And then he says, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. In other words, if people appreciate you enough to do these kind things for you, just appreciate it. Right? Don't go around looking for something better. Just stay where you are and appreciate the people that were generous from the beginning. Because notice the next phrase, and we're going to talk about this for a few minutes. It says, go not from house to house. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah, I see you chuckling over there. Yeah. Right. It is word for word right there. And we've read the whole context, so it's not like I'm receiving something that's not there. But we are talking about staying in a house, right? They they're go to a city, they're preaching in the synagogue, and they're preaching and teaching from this house, right? And so what it's talking about is you don't go from one house to the other looking for something better, you know, for a better staying situation. But also... This was what they did. They went from ha- they didn't go from house to house. They taught in the synagogue and they taught in the house they were staying. They didn't go door to door knocking, right? That's not what they did. That's not the case. So all of these churches that have a door to door soul winning program are doing it unbiblically. That was not the intention of the Lord. I've had this argument before, and people say, well, Brother Matthew, let me show you in Scripture a couple places where it says that the apostles went house to house ministering. Those are always with church members. It's house to house to the church members that already exist, right? It's house to house to uh, the, the apostle Paul had started a church, and the church is meeting in one of the members' houses or another because they were hiding from the government, right? It was never... Door-to-door soul winning like we have it today. You know where that got started at? It got started somewhere around the 50s. And it was a few pastors had seen how successful door-to-door cold call sales were for businesses. So they decided that they would do that for churches. 
And they decided that they'd go door to door knocking on doors and and promoting their church. And you might say, well, we're not just promoting church business. We're we're leaving tracks on. We're helping people find the Lord in salvation. And that's a wonderful thing. But how many have ever been soul winning with these churches before? Yeah, a, a handful. Now, how many times do you open with salvation? You don't. What do you start with? Inviting them to church. Hi, my name is Matthew Strange. I'm with Faith Baptist Church. We're out here inviting people to church. Some version of that or another is what they teach you before you get started. What's the last thing you mention? Salvation. Every time. I've worked for, (coughs) other than this church, I've worked for three different independent Baptist churches. And every single one of them was the same way. I went to Bible college where we helped out other smaller churches. And it was always the same way. We want to invite you to church. We want to see you at church. Oh, by the way, let me tell you about this Jesus fellow I almost forgot about. It's not about salvation. It's about promoting business for the church, and it's coming from the wrong place. Let me tell you why that is, too, because he says, go not from house to house. Uh, I think I've missed a... No, I haven't. He says in verse 8, whatsoever city you enter... And they receive you each such things as are set before you. And here's in verse 9, here's where the the giving of the gospel is really, and the the strategy for giving the gospel is really given to the church. He says in verse 9, Heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Right. So what he's saying there is, we don't have the power to heal the sick today. I wish I could, I'd be in the hospitals right now. Right. We just don't have that power. What we do have is the power to be charitable, to be compassionate, to be kind. There are people out there that need help and more than just the gospel, because we all need the gospel. But what we need more than that is there are people sleeping under bridges in the cold. You know how many homeless people will die from that in a year? There's a lot. You know how many kids go home to parents that spend their entire paycheck on booze? And they go hungry. So the the schools have started up these programs where they send these kids home with food. Or during the summer, because school is the only place they get meals, they started up programs where those kids can go to the school and eat. Even if it's just that only meal for the day. There are people out there that need the church to step up. They need us to step up. That's where we start. And as we're ministering to people's physical needs, we also tell them about their spiritual need. And we say, hey, let me tell you about this man named Jesus. Let me tell you what he did for us. That was what Jesus told them to do, the 70 to go out and do. Heal the sick, and as they're healing the sick, say unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But in whatsoever city you enter... And they receive you not. Go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, ye be sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Remember the the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It was... Hailfire and brimstone, not a great day for Sodom. 
dear Jesus just said, any place you go that you attempt to give the gospel and they utterly reject you, don't take that personally. Right? We get all hot and bothered about that kind of thing, right? And I know Christians, Christians get angry, don't they? I've been on the internet. I've seen them. You know, <laughs> they're out there. And they get angry and they start, you know, well, you need to da, 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 and going off on people. That's not the Christian. That's not the way of the Lord. That's not what Christians should do. Right? You know, the Bible says, don't take it personally. He said, before they hated you, they hated me, Jesus said. That's right. He said uh, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Rejoice when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. He also said, Because you're in great company. Because that is what they did to the prophets of the Old Testament. They came out preaching the truth, telling people the message of the Lord. They didn't appreciate it, and they were killed for it. Now, the Bible tells us we ought to speak the truth in love, and I think that there's great importance in that. And we ought to do our very best to come across with the love of Christ when we're giving the gospel. But there are just going to be people who don't appreciate it no matter how you say it. And that is the unfortunate truth of it all. But not to take it personally. Just not get upset. Get angry, get screaming. I think I told you a story once. I'll tell it again because I think it's a funny story about a cousin of mine. I won't say which one because I got a bunch of cousins. Uh, it got mad. Uh, was in school because her teacher said that there was no God, which happens in public school, you know. But she, this person, got mad. Uh, and uh, at some point during the during the the very heated argument, was standing on their desk and like throwing things. If you know this person, you can picture that, right? But uh, don't do that, <laughs> right? That is the very attitude of things that is what's wrong with Christianity, right? What is wrong with Christianity is protesters outside of gay marriages holding up signs that say God hates homosexuals, but it doesn't say homosexuals. That is what's wrong with Christianity. You holding up a picket sign outside of their wedding is not going to convert them to the Lord. It's just not. God doesn't hate anybody. For God so loved the world, right? Any three-year-old who's memorized one scripture in all of Sunday school can tell you, God doesn't hate anybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, you parents, think about that. How many of you would be willing to let your, your, your child die a horrible, painful death for a prisoner full of people, a, a prison full of people to go free. Wouldn't do it. That doesn't even pale in comparison to the difference between us and the Lord. And God so loved the world that he was willing to do that. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel. He says in verse 13, he starts to give warnings to these different cities. Woe unto thee, Chorasin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For the mighty works had been done. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. 
And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me, Jesus says. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me, God the Father. So this is his instruction to the 70. They go out. He instructs them concerning rejection. And they go out and they go into these cities and they minister just like he said. And then we see, uh, thirdly, uh, this morning in verse 17 is instruction concerning rejoicing. Because they come back very excited. Look in verse 17. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. That'd be an exciting thing, wouldn't it? You were seeing somebody wrestling with a demon, and you could go up and you could go, hey, get out of there. And it had to listen to you? That's a really cool, we were talking about superpowers earlier. That'd be a cool superpower, wouldn't it? That'd be an amazing thing. They had incredible power in the day of the Lord Jesus. He was talking about how they could come up and heal people. That's that's the superpower I would want. Right? I mean, you can have your flying and stuff. I'm afraid of heights. I don't need that one. You can keep it. We're good. You know? <laughs> Lasers out of your eyes would seem like it'd make a good microwave, but I'd be afraid of like losing control. You ever seen heard somebody say, man, if, if looks could kill? <laughs> looks could kill if you have laser eyes, right? So that's, that's a dangerous one. But man, the power to heal is so much greater than the power to destroy. And I would love the power to heal. That's what they had in this day. The power to heal all these amazing signs and wonders before their eyes. And yet people still chose not to believe. How many people have you ever heard say, well, if God would just show me something, just, just show me in some way I'd be a believer. You ever heard that before? I've heard it a few times before. They had that. They had God showing them. I mean, it would have been no more than all the, more, the Lord could have done more than that was to like write it out in the sky. Yes, Thomas, he's telling you the truth. You know, had the birds line up in such a way or something. Beyond that, the Lord couldn't have done much more. And they still didn't believe. Right? It's not always about proof. Believing in Jesus is a matter of the heart. But they were excited they had these powers. An amazing thing. And Jesus told them, verse 18, he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So Jesus was there during the fall of Satan and watched Lucifer fall from heaven. He said, I was there. I experienced it. <clears throat> That's a tragic day. We've studied what we believe about Satan. right? Satan was the song leader of heaven. He was in charge of the music of heaven, which holds such beauty and such greatness that anything we create on earth doesn't hold a candle. And something so wonderful and so magnificent to be turned to such evil, that's a tragic day. He said in verse 19, Behold, I give you unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now there are some denominations who believe that this power still is held by church members today. Uh, he says that I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So there are, and you will see in some um, very charismatic churches, uh, there will be people who stand up in the front, and they'll have like a snake or something, and they'll just let the poisonous snake bite them. Prove this isn't the case. And paramedics are standing by. 
I wonder why that is. Certainly not a lack of faith. But that is not the case today. Like I said, there are many signs and wonders in the days of Jesus. Right? They didn't have a completed Bible. They didn't even have the full authority of the apostles yet. Jesus was just proving himself. And this is why he only went to Israel. And go to Gentile nations doing this. Only to Israel. He's proving to his people their Messiah, the promised Old Testament Messiah, had come. And it was him. That was the purpose of it. So we can't do these things. Don't go outside here after church today looking for snakes and scorpions because you can't. It doesn't work that way. I promise you. Make sure you have a snake bite kit. Oh, scorpions. Well, it's there. I had to mention it. Josh has got a thing for scorpions. Uh, Verse 20, he says, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not. And and this is the part I think that we, we are so infatuated by is the concept of like angels and demons and so forth. Maybe because it's the most applicable to where we are on earth as the angels sort of are in our presence back and forth, the demons as well. And you can see demonic influence in our world. I remember a youth pastor that uh, was teaching me told a story of uh, when he was in the Navy and he took a a trip uh, to a third world country and a group of uh, Christian people that he was with went to one of the tribal ceremonies that they were having while he was there. And uh, the ceremony, from their perspective, was to be them being possessed by the spirit of their ancestors, right? empowering them to do things they couldn't normally do. What was actually happening was they were being possessed by the power of demons. They didn't realize it. So these demons, as they possessed them, and he told us a story, they would begin to cut themselves open, huge gashes, and they wouldn't bleed. Uh, they would. There was another one that would hey, take huge whole flasks of very strong liquor and would just chug huge bottle after huge bottle. There was another one that had uh, like whole grapefruits and was just swallowing them whole. Now, this is what they were doing. I can't imagine their ancestors wanted that for them, but I imagine that's what a demon would want. And we know from different things like that people talk about ghosts, right, and haunted houses. And we're in the, the Halloween phase right now of things, and, and that's a fun thing. But can I burst your bubble a little bit? There's no such thing as ghosts. That's not a real thing. I'm sorry. I don't mean to kill it for you, but it's not. The Bible tells us that when the soul dies, it goes to one of two places. I pray to God that that place for you is heaven. And if not, come to know Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior today. But ghosts are not a thing. Demons are. So that might be what that is. And I think that's why we're so infatuated with that, because it's so what applies to us today. And we're like these 70. And we come back and we're infatuated with what the angels were doing around us. And I saw an angel today. And uh, all this person, all oh, the story about the demons that they told that they saw in this place and so forth and so on. And uh, Jesus here says, don't get excited about those things. He says... Rejoice uh, in this, rejoice not, in verse 20, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's something to get excited about. I can't tell you for certain if guardian angels are real. There's a verse that talks about how uh, children have specific angels that are in charge of taking care of them by God. Uh, And from that, we may infer that there are guardian angels. There may or may not, but I can tell you something even better is true. 
God is guarding you. It's better than any angel, right? You've got God himself on your side. It says in the New Testament, if God be for us, who can stand against us, right? Hey, I'll take God over any angel any day, right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't get so infatuated with these demons and these angels that you forget your names are written down in heaven. And that is something to really get excited about. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son. And he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. And this is verse right here we're going to end on. Very cool. It says in verse 24, For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see those things which you see. Oh man, can you imagine how bad Moses wanted to meet Jesus? You imagine how bad he wanted to know these things he had in part and these uh, rituals and customs, what they meant. Why are we doing this? Why are we sacrificing this animal? Why does it have to be cut in such a way? Why are we using the blood so much? What does all of this mean? And he desired, did you know he wanted so badly to know what all that stuff meant? You imagine David, mighty King David. And all that he did and all the promises that God made to him about one sitting upon his throne. Don't you imagine he wanted so badly to know what that stuff meant? To figure it all out and to see what was going to happen and to know exactly what each of those little words meant. And here we have it in full today. He said that which prophets and kings desired to see those things which ye see. And have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. The explanation to the things they only received in part, we have in full today. You have more of God this morning than Moses ever had. You know that this morning? You have more of God this morning than King David ever had. And that is an amazing thing. And that why should we should rejoice in heaven and this is the spirit of soul winning this is the way it should be done and this is the rejoicing not in escaping hell but in entering heaven not in avoiding the devil but in embracing the lord that is our lesson for this morning i'm a couple of minutes late so we're going to start five after uh, 11 for the morning service thank you guys for watching